This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We can only break free of the disabling effects of our hurts if we become fully aware of their true origins, re-experience the trauma, and complete the healing process by confronting the source of the pain. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Robert Bleck, the author of Give Back the Pain, Emotional Healing Through Source Completion Therapy. Veteran educator, researcher, and psychotherapist Dr. Robert Black has devised a simple but effective three-phase therapeutic approach to eliminating the lingering effects of painful past experiences. Believing that we all suffer from at least some emotional wounds as a result of our past experiences, especially those who have been abused, Dr. Black put his mental health expertise to work on developing source completion therapy. SCT. Incorporating all the effective, significant psychological theories widely in use today, SCT takes us on a journey of personal exploration and emotional healing built on the theory that we can only break free of the disabling effects of our hurts if we, first, become fully aware of their true origins, next, re-experience the pain, and finally, Complete the healing process by confronting those responsible for the pain. In his book, Give Back the Pain, Dr. Bleck creatively provides snippets and case histories that help us see our own behaviors among the many symptoms SCT addresses. An easy-to-use self-hypnosis script aids us in becoming fully conscious of the events that created our symptoms and options for giving the pain back to its source, completing, are offered. Robert T. Black received his PhD from the University of Florida. As a former professor, he has taught counseling and psychology. As a writer and innovator in the field, he has appeared on radio and television shows throughout the country. He is founder and director of the Source Completion Therapy Center in Plainview, New York, where he puts his therapeutic principles into practice. Meet Dr. Robert at robertbleck.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Robert Black. In your own words, who is Dr. Robert Black? Well, I'm a person that loves life and also wants to heal others who have suffered uh, greatly in theirs. When did you become aware of that? 
You know, that's a great question. You know, ever since I was a little boy, I remembered being very sensitive and compassionate and empathic for all those that struggled or suffered in some way, whether it was a child being bullied or the whether it was someone in poverty that I witnessed or read about or some injustice that was done. And that was when I was really very young. And as I got older and I went to to college, uh, there was one incident that particularly crystallized the path that I wanted to take. During the spring break, uh, a few of my fraternity brothers, we decided to go to the island of Puerto Rico. And when we arrived, I mean, the hotel was beautiful. The beach was pristine white sand. And the sunshine was lovely, and the the water was uh, blue-green, I remember distinctly. But I decided to take a, a trip uh, to the inner island. And when I, when I got there, I was just totally awed and saddened by the poverty that I saw. So right then, it crystallized that in some way I wanted to help humanity, and I decided to um, use the skills that I seemed to innately possess, and that was compassion. And I studied psychology and then went on to get a PhD in uh, counseling. That's an interesting story. It's almost like a metaphor to going deeper, not staying at the surface of anything, of life itself, our own lives and other people's lives, everything we see around us, just going deeper. It always helps. Yes, that's my feelings. Yeah, it has been mine too. So I have heard that pain and suffering They are two different things. Do you agree? Do you have the same view? Well, they're probably on the continuum in some way. Struggle, pain, and suffering. Either way, um, I I could heal it, and I like to heal that, whether it's pain, suffering, or struggles. What about feelings and emotions, Robert? Are they the same to you? I have heard also that these aspects or components of, of the human experiences, they are different. They are not the same. Well, in the way I look at it, it, they are very similar. Um, Feelings and emotions go go hand in hand. The people that I work with, they were abused as children. So all their feelings and emotions, they're just boiling inside of them when they reach me, whether it was feeling inadequate, worthless, unloved, or empty from being hurt and and being in pain, or whether it was just feeling lonely and defective, vulnerable and powerless. Um, there were feelings, but they um, evoke certainly powerful emotions. Would you say that feelings come first? They arise? Yes, I, I, I would. I, again, they're so closely related right. Right. that they're similar to me in, in my work. Another question that came to mind is the idea that we create our own suffering. That I have heard too many times. What is your perspective on that? For the ones I work with and the, the what I've seen and experienced in life, that's certainly not always the case. Right. The way I look at it, the way I believe in what I've experienced, for the most part, we're all born pure, innocent, and just bursting with such sweet potential. And in fact, when, when I'm around a, a baby or an infant, I'm just awed and I'm overwhelmed by, with joy yeah. uh, just to uh-huh. see the baby. Yeah. And I could spend the whole day just holding that (laughs) because to me, the essence of this little tiny being is just perfect. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't judge and it doesn't hate. But here's here's the catch, though. And it gets tricky from here on in. As pure and innocent as we are and as sweet as we are, 
we're also vulnerable and we depend upon our caregivers for our survival. And what happens here, we trust them to feed us when they're hungry, change us when we're wet and soiled, protect us from harm, you know, keep us away from traffic and electrical outlets. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and to in, encourage us in, when, when we're sad and comfort us when we're um, empty or, or confused. If the opposite happens, if we're degraded, mm-hmm. if we're hit, if we're touched inappropriately, all that sweet potential begins to turn sour and a whole bunch of uncomfortable feelings are produced. Ashamed or betrayed or trapped or angry and rage, those, those feelings are, are beginning to be produced and they fester inside and, and they'll often come out uh, on in, in inappropriate ways and ugly ways. So yeah. then it's suffering and the people suffer. So the answer to your question, no, we're born innocent and, and free of suffering and it's created in, in people who are abused. So that's how I answer that question. So suffering is something that's real. From your view, we are not creating or perpetuating that idea of suffering. It's something I don't that it, believe. I don't believe that at all. Right, especially when it comes to emotions. Right. Correct. Oh, and I have been there. Uh, it's still uncovering some of those uh, layers. It's it's work too to do that. I know that from from my work. It's it's work to do that. Uncover the layers. Yeah, yeah. Because it's interesting. There are many. When we think we are healed, we healed one, and then another appears. It's a I very agree. interesting journey. I agree. And I hope you, you you sound like yours has been productive for yourself. I'm happy. To oh that. yes, yeah, absolutely. One of the main methods that I used, I don't know if I can call it method or a shift in perspective, is uh, spirituality. Mm-hmm. That understanding that we are not just the physical body, that we are beyond this. Not just the understanding intellectually, but the experience of that. There's something yes. about us that's just, like you said, innocent, pure. Uh, there is a silence that has a lot of quality. Um, there's something to it that's so much bigger than what we think we are, this, the experience in the human body. And that has been um, very helpful. I'm, I'm glad it helps you. And I believe that also. I believe that there's a force in the universe yeah. that really goes through all of us, all living creatures. Um, it's sort of what the American Indians believe and maybe and the Buddhists believe also. That's I, I, my philosophy on this. Let me ask you a general question about healing before we talk about your book, uh, Give Back the Pain. Then we'll have specific questions about emotional healing. But what is healing to you and what are some of the greatest misunderstandings about healing? Wow, interesting. Okay, so healing to me is being at peace internally. Mm. So if you could be at peace internally, I feel you're healed and then can be open to the magic and the wonders that is out in life. And I believe there are many of them. Yes, peace, right. I call it inner peace. Uh, Would you say that however it comes, however that arises and happens to be, it's okay? Or in a way, we should be always looking for different levels or higher levels of inner peace? Yeah, I I think the people I deal with, the inner peace is when they release all those painful feelings. Um, And and you'll ask me questions about the the three phases later. They could have an inner peace where they're free of that pain. 
And then they also want to grow more. So they want it. So that's another mm. level to reach. And it, it goes against society a lot of times, um, this, because in society, very often, um, what, what are the goals are material possessions and material things. And, uh, that, that is just a surface, uh, thing or a surface answer. And it never can really, um, add anything to internal peace. No one could achieve it, no matter how big your house is, how many rooms you have, how many boats you have, how many how many uh, fancy cars you have. Nothing materially will ever give you internal peace. Right. I or agree. free you from the pain that you have inside. I agree a thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> and we have all tried these methods, right, of healing mm-hmm. uh, with external things. Uh, tell me about it. Yes, even, even people, other people can't do that for us. Mm. There's a, there's used to be there's this right. movie, uh, I think Jerry Maguire, when he says to the, the other character, you complete me. Nobody, no mm. other person could do that. No other person can take away the pain from your childhood. It could only come about by actual healing internally. And, and then, then you have the actual peace. And I have a few more questions for you, the warm-up questions, general questions. The purpose of life, what do you think the purpose of the human experience is? Again, to have an internal peace, mm. to find a connection uh, with the universe and with nature. And that's all I need. And with I have a, a partner who has been just very supportive of me and everything I've done and everything we do. So that, that has enriched me. And my last warm-up question is about love. What is your understanding and idea of love? Uh, my understanding, my idea and uh, ideal is, um, again, someone who enriches you. Mm. I, I never looked for love in someone who would take away my pain, to complete me, to give me everything my mother didn't or my father didn't. Um, I never uh, did it that way. I always looked for someone who could enrich my life share my joys and be supportive of me um, during tough and difficult times. So that that's how I consider love. So you wrote the book, Give Back the Pain, Emotional Healing Through Source Completion Therapy. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book? Well, both the book and the therapy are the result of my work with adults who were abused when they were children. So I was work, how that came about. My original specialty, um, when I gra- graduated, um, with my PhD was, uh, children, working with children directly. And I worked in schools for a while where I worked with children and teachers and parents for the, for the emotional well-being of the child. And then I was hired by a university to develop their child counseling program and to teach courses in that. And I did that for a while. And what what started to happen, which was really interesting, I didn't expect it. Former students um, started to call me um, and asking me if I would see them in my practice, my private practice. I had a small one at the time. And they told me that they were abused when they were child, when they were a child, and when I, they would be grateful I would, mm. if I would see them. So I, I, I did. I, I started to see them. There were a number that called, and I, I, I guess I was successful because I kept getting referrals. But I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied that I was getting the long term and permanent healing that I wanted to see. Right. Uh, whatever theory and therapies I was using didn't seem to go deep enough. They didn't seem to be healing enough that I was, that I was satisfied with. So I, I, 
I kept seeing which things worked, which didn't. I explored a number of um, options and techniques. And then I saw what was working and how, how it would be sequenced. And then I came up with source completion therapy, which is basically three phases of the process. And I said, you know, I have this down. I've worked with people and I feel them greatly, but I wanted to share it with the world. So I, I wrote that. I wrote the book. Yeah, I'm glad you did. And I love the first one, the first phase, which is, uh, I'm glad is the first one, awareness, because yes. that's where everything starts, self-awareness itself. So Correct. talk to me about those phases, the three phases. So the one, um, awareness, two, relief, uh, re-experience, release, and then phase three, completion, which you're also in the book you call Give It Back to the Source, Methods Correct. of Feedback. Talk to me about the phases, if you want to disclose all of them. Sure, sure. So, so let's just take one. We'll take the first first phase. Yeah. Well, let me just let me just um, go back to how come this, these are needed. As I said, a, a child who is abused has all those feelings. I've mentioned some of them: lonely and defective, and feeling worthless and loved, empty and betrayed. Now, a child can't really process that. Their brain can't process the uh, betrayal uh, that. Uh, of trust that they, they, they give into their caregivers. So what happens is the brain stuffs and represses this betrayal. It, it, stu it stuffs it down to the subconscious. And there it stays until uh, we bring it up and, and we do the work by awareness. Again, a lot of people, they don't know. Some don't remember because they've stuffed it so far down. And some just are aware that they were hurt somewhere along in their childhood. So, so in the first phase, the people learn to explore and, and examine and become aware of the, the main source of their dysfunctional behavior and their pain. Now, through a variety of method, uh, methods like body awareness and dream in interpretation, we, people are, are, are taught how to see what's being trapped in their subconscious and bring it up into their conscious. That's basically what happens. Like, for, for example, let me, let me explain something that happened um, regarding a body awareness. I was referred to a woman who had a, I was referred, uh, this woman was referred to me. She had a tremendous rash all over her body, her face, her arms, her legs, her chest. And she would, they gave her, the doctors, physical doctors gave her all sorts of salves, oral medications, and nothing was working. So she came into my office and I listened to her story and I said, I just said, well, let's look underneath the skin and see what that's saying. Mm, yeah. What part of your body is screaming to you? She looked up at me her jaw opened and she says, you know, no one ever asked me that. And she thought for a second and she said, you know, that's the poison that I still feel inside me from when my grandfather put me on his lap and started to touch me where he shouldn't. It's just festering inside of me. And she started to cry. And uh, so we got we got to the source of that. And then we go we go further in the next phases. But that's an example of body language. Um, one, another example was, um, I, a woman started working with me and she, as I'm writing down the logistics of maybe her address, the first time she was there, her leg was shaking. She was shaking her foot and her leg. And I just asked her, what, what is your leg saying now and your foot? And she looked again, she took a second and she says, I want to kick you and uh -huh. I want to, I want to kick you hard and I want to hurt you. And I say, I'm not um, phased by this because I understand it. Yeah. 
So in that hurt, what I what I asked her is, well, how come? And she says, you're a man. And all you men want is one thing. You don't care about me. You don't care about my feelings or my thoughts or my existence. And then I say further, oh, well, who hurt you? And then we go into it. Mm-hmm. So that's just body language, example of body language and then and what happens there. Now, in the, in the second phase, unless you have a question, Larry, you have another question? Yes, I do about that awareness. That's really has been my experience too. Yeah, I have paid attention to body language and, and that's, wow, it's amazing how the body shows. It, it can't lie, it really express yeah. the pain. But dreams, that's been an interesting one too. So talk to me for a moment. You wrote in the book, one of the most productive methods of creating more awareness through dreams is to view each significant person, place, and thing in the dream as a representative part of yourself. Correct. Yeah, talk to me for a moment about that. Okay, so I'll give you an example that it's a real example. It was in yeah. the book, and it's kind of simple to understand. A woman had a, had a dream that, and she saw a castle. She saw a, a big castle, and it was ready for, it was getting ready for an oncoming assault. It was ready to be, be attacked. And throughout, through every window and portal and door and hole, there was a weapon of destruction, a rifle, a machine gun, a mortar, a cannon arrows, bows and arrows, whatever weapon you can think of was there. And um, she, I asked her, well, what's that about? She says, well, if I see myself as the castle, it's me, I'm the castle. And those weapons are the way I protect myself. Coming from a mother who was so distant and a father who was always critical and judgmental, I feel like life's a battleground for me. And I always have to protect myself. Problem is I've, I've limited my, my intimacy and and that's missing in my life right now. So th- that's a simple way of looking at that. The castle is a part of her, and so are the weapons. And what it does to her, we, we examine it further and how it's hurt her. Wow, that's fascinating. So would you say that every dream that we remember represents the subconscious and some sort of um, the way we view the world or what we have been through? Exactly. And and we have to figure out what those what those clues sometimes... They come across to us, um, you know, a little bizarre, but we have to piece yeah. it together. And if we could, pe- I like to have it pieced together by seeing every person, place, or thing as a part of the, themselves. And then it, that seems to be very successful yeah. for the people I work with. Yeah, it really sounds to me like, yeah, a very interesting idea, which applies to life as well, <laughs> from, yes. from my perspective. Yeah. It does. <laughs> Before my question, phase two, yeah, talk to me about that, which you also include the uh, a script for relieving childhood experiences, an interesting one. Yes. Okay, this is this phase now, once you have awareness of where, where your symptoms come from, there was basically who hurt you and how did they do it? You know, it was your mother, your father, your uncle, cousins, and they hurt then where they hurt you perhaps they hurt me in the in the bedroom i found that you have to go back in time basically to relive that hurt through the use of things like hypnosis yeah. and self hypnosis which i teach the person to do themselves they actually go back in time and, and they re-experience the 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 abuse in vivid details and then they they're taught to focus then on the their five sense, senses um, as they experience the past in the present moment. So the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the, the aromas, all connected to the, the experience of being hurt. 
And that what that does, what this um, phase does, it, it brings the emotions up to the surface, the buried emotions, and, and it gets people ready for their, the third phase, which would be to complete the process of healing. The phase two, re-experiencing the traumas and the experiences in the past, the, the bad ones. Yes. Do we risk to become re-traumatized? Kind of you know, it's a, it's a great question. You, you do if you're not doing it correctly mm. or with somebody or some guidance um, that someone could help you. I, I don't go to phase two unless the people are actually ready to do that. It, it takes time. They have to be very comfortable with me and they have to be very, very open to, you know, to completing the process. This process is not a quick process. It, it takes its time depending on each individual. Yeah. Um, how deep and buried the feelings are. True. And and how courageous they are, each person is to to face it. So it takes the time. It takes time, and I'm I'm very patient. So if you if you go to this phase too soon, you do risk having a person a little more traumatized. So I never do that. They're always ready to do this with me, and it's at their pace. A time frame, this is something that a lot of people ask the question about healing, the process of healing, how long it takes, you know. I know that there's no time frame, really. We are all unique and it depends on our own journeys and how we deal with uh, the experience itself, of the healing experience. But a question for, I have for you about time frame is, why do you think it takes much longer for some people than others? Well, some have uh, more um, abuse. The abuse is more severe than others. Yeah. Um, and some bury their feelings further down mm -hmm. to where they don't even have memories of it. So it would take longer for those people. Talk to me for a moment about something, I mean, so interesting in your book. You mentioned so many kinds of, of, of consequences by avoiding the pain, trying to um, hide them. Then we have all these issues um, that surface. You, in your book, you say something interesting. You say, our conscious minds don't like to feel pain, which is so true. It really doesn't. So talk to me for a moment about the, the consequences of not feeling our pain and trying to hide it. All right, that's a great question. Thanks for bringing it up now. What happens is if, if we keep these feelings in, they fester, as I said before, they boil, they simmer. And like eating, like having a bad meal, you know, and getting food poisoning, yeah. our body wants to push it out and mm. it basically comes out of every orifice. Right. So in this case, in, in emotions, our, our subconscious wants to push it out. But our, but our conscious mind doesn't want to feel these things, mm. so feel the feelings. So what happens is they come out in things like obsessions, phobias, compulsions, intense rage at other people. It, it, it just continues to come out, and I call these diversions. Yeah, yeah. Panic attacks, eating disorders, uh, transference and projection comes out in numbing. A lot of people just numb themselves off from life and numb, numb all the emotions. I, I'm, I work with a, an actor, and I think he's a really good one. He developed an interesting, his career was it actually a, a diversion. What he experienced when he was a child, his father told him, shut up, don't talk, don't talk back, don't say anything, don't uh, uh, even attempt to it because you'll, I'll slam you. And his mother gave him no attention, no protection against the father. So what he did, he just shut down. He didn't talk. He withdrew. And he didn't talk in school for a lot of years. 
What happened though, he saw one day, he was in middle school, and he saw an advertisement for a play that the school was putting on. And he said, oh, this could be good. So he went to the play, and then what he did, he found out he could detach totally from himself, but also talk. He could talk and be somebody else. So he was, he could be a different character. So he just developed each character, each role that he got. He spoke, but he never touched on the real feelings that he as a person had inside, just the characters, until he started coming to me. And he's made tremendous progress and healing terrifically. So that's called numbing, people who just numb out, detach from their, from their pain. And we can see that in ourselves and others, yeah, clearly when those, um, I call them resistance, aren't they, Robert? These uh, trying to hide, it's a, it's a sort of resistance, fear, uh, basically. We are afraid. We're afraid to feel what has been done to us and, yeah. and all those feelings that accompany it. Right. Uh, that's, that's also why a lot of people you see all quite frequently, people judging, blaming others for, yeah. you know, um, just they constantly attack others yeah. for, for, for whatever reason, the way they look, the way they speak, the way they raise their kids, whatever. Yeah, let me ask you this question. What do we do in the case of when we are aware of these things? Like in your case, if you had a family member with these issues or these hidden emotions, how, how would you approach that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 to do this work, the work that I do, a person has to be willing to do it right, uh, and, right. and, to, and to experience the pain. If, if I see a person not willing to do that, I, I, I don't feel the need to, to convince them. Mm. I don't feel that need. They, they, their journey will be their own. But a person would have to be willing to do this or it won't be effective and understand the process. That is so true. Is there a way, um, let's say a safe and a healthy way to approach them in a sense of making them aware of these uh, hidden emotions? Uh, yeah. Yes, there is. I have I have my coffee before I start work at a local diner, before the pandemic, certainly. Yeah. And I would enjoy it. It was a cup of coffee I enjoy. I enjoy oatmeal in the morning. <laughs> so, so, and... There would be guys coming in off before work and they would start talking and we would, there was a table, they started joining me at my table. We would talk politics, we would talk uh, sports, whatever. And there was one gentleman, he was always sarcastic to everybody, kind of degrading them, putting them down. And that was a diversion. I, I felt really uncomfortable with it right. over the years, but, but I was gentle with him. And one time I said, he was sarcastic to another gentleman who was at the same table. And I said, you know, Steve, I'm really uncomfortable with that. You know, I feel you're hurting, you know, you're hurting John over here when you're saying that about him. And he says, no, he's not. It's just your field. It's what you do. You think, you know, you're so sensitive. And I said, well, why don't you just ask John how he feels about it? So he says, okay, uh, I bet you that he's not going to feel anything. So he asked John and John says, yeah, I kind of do. I do. It hurts me. Steve, when you say those things to me. And so that's how I could, I could approach this. It was gentle and, and, and he was very shocked and he says, I don't want to do that. And I'm sorry that I do it. And I'm sorry that I did it. And thanks for telling me and making me aware. Now he then started sharing where his uh, desire to not feel came from. It was his mother who was really, really cruel to him. And he shared that with me. So that's how that happened. Right. So 
And I see compassion in there. And just kind of being true, telling them how we feel if they are being yeah, negative or whatever it is, being vulnerable, putting ourselves in that position of vulnerability too. Yes. I'll always do that with somebody who I think is hurting me or, or trying to mock me in some way. Yeah. I'll ask them how come they're doing that. It kind of it hurts me. So, and, and then we could look at it. But, I, but if I'm going to get anywhere, it's not with certainly anger or rage mm. at them. So we're almost at the end, and I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Sure. I'd like to read. Um, I, I have one passage that I'd like to read. It's kind of a snippet. Should I um, I'll preface it? Yes. Yeah, not not all feelings that we hold in are the result of abuse. Mm. Um, it could be the result of loss or pain in other areas. And this passage and this gentleman, what he did when he was a young boy, reminds me what I did with my own father. So it's a special passage to me. Yeah. And I and I helped him see what was happening in his life. Okay. It was Saturday morning, and the chattering of the birds served as Mark's alarm clock. His tiny legs shook with anticipation as his father walked into the room. Reaching out his hand, Mark stagged, signaled that it was time for their weekly walk. As Mark's little fingers were swallowed up by the strength and size of his father's hands, he felt enveloped with love. Hand in hand, they marched off to the corner coffee shop for their special Saturday breakfast. He loved the shop and felt so comfortable there. It was one of those little homey luncheonettes that peppered the streets of New York. When they arrived, Mark knew that they would be warmly welcomed by the owner and the regular customers. Mark loved the attention and was proud to be with his father. As soon as they opened the door, the lovely smell of frying bacon filled Mark's head. Immediately, he dashed to the counter where he could see the cook at work. Swiveling to the, the top of the anchored stool to get a clear view of the grill, Mark watched the eggs bubble and the bacon shrink, and they made him hungry. Today was the only day of the week he could eat anything he wanted. So he always chose to start with his favorite, a vanilla milkshake. The owner would pour the ingredients in a, into a wide mouth chrome cup and place it under a huge green and silver mixture. As the blades word, word, Mark wet his lips in anticipation. When the blending was complete, the owner placed a glass on the counter and poured in the delicious mixture from the cup. Since the blending cup held more than the glass, the owner left the extra for Mark to enjoy. Beaming, Mark knew that he would be able to polish off exactly two and a half glasses of this luscious drink. Saturdays were truly special. Mark had everything he could want. His loving father, his favorite drink, and a lifetime of fun to look forward to. When Mark was 10 years old, his father died unexpectedly from a heart attack. Special Saturday breakfasts were no more, and Mark's sweet world was shattered. After the death of his father, the singing of the birds never seemed to reach his ears. At 34, when Mark sought the source of his trembling legs and nodded throat, I asked him to listen closely to his body. I asked him, what are your legs and throat saying? Were they trying to tell you? Mark began to hear the messages clearly. When my dad died, I saw how crushed my mother and sister were. I tried to be strong for them. I cried just a trickle at the funeral and did my best to keep my tears away. I now realize that I never gave myself the opportunity to grieve for my dad. Although I missed him terribly, I never allowed my tears to flow. So as each Saturday, the day of the week, I spent with my father approach, my tears would accumulate as this ball in the back of my throat. My shaking legs spoke of the desire for the Saturday morning breakfast walk and their inability to make such past pleasures possible. 
I know now that I must deal with the loss of my father, which occurred over 20 years ago. So Mark listened to his subconscious through the messages he received in his body. Becoming aware of the hurts he grieved, Mark allowed himself to purge his stored tears and fully mourn the death of his father. Although still pleased by the fond memories he has of his dad, Mark's legs no longer shake and the lump in his throat is gone. Best of all, according to Mark, I once again hear the sweet singing of, of the birds. And this passage is special because it has to do with your own story, right, Robert? Yeah, my father used to take me to a place just like that in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where I was born. Yeah. And we would have uh, that, that milkshake <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I remember. <laughs> so it was special, and my father was a really decent uh, man filled with integrity. So This might be the time to ask a question about life after life. I don't even call life after death. Do you believe in any form of life after life? I'm not sure. It is my honest answer. I do believe that there's spirituality running through all of us, yeah. as I've said, a force that attaches us, yeah. that we're all kind of stardust, so to speak. So I don't know how that manifests itself when we die, but I do believe there's a force that runs through all of us. And that's what I know to be true. <laughs> yes. My last question to you is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Well, I know that it, it's beautiful. I love a, a sunset and a, and a sunrise and the stars. So I know it's beautiful and magical when I see a starlit night and a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. And I know that also I know that any feelings that I stored from the past and from my past must be released so I can enjoy that magic. I love your wisdom, your clarity. I love your compassion, the purpose of your work um, and everything else in between. Thank you. And thank you so much. And I admire you, all your achievements as well. I hope that you're proud of them because I was when I saw them. Yes, I am. I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it has done a good job, <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay, you can go to my website. It's robertbleck, B-L-E-C-K dot com. And there you find, uh, it talks about my book, um, Give Back the Pain. And Amazon, Barnes and Noble has it. And you can click on the link on my website. You can get right to Amazon if you'd like more information. Yes, and I'll have that link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye for now, Robert. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Robert Black and his work, please visit robertblack.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.